Hello, I'm Chris Marshall, Deputy Editor of Holyrood. Here at Holyrood, we recently hosted four online hustings, looking at some of the big issues in the run-up to the election on May the 6th. The last podcast was on the environment, and this session looks at education policy. Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Marshall, Deputy Editor of Holyrood, um, and I'd like to uh, welcome you all to Holyrood's Education Hustings. A recent poll by Ipsos Mori found education to be the second most important issue for voters in Scotland, second only to the issue of another independence referendum, but ahead of both the NHS and the response to the pandemic. Today, we'll look at some of the big issues facing Scottish education in 2021 and beyond. And I'm delighted to welcome our panel, Claire Adamson of the SNP, Jamie Green, Scottish Conservatives, Michael Mara, Scottish Labour, Ross Greer of the Scottish Greens and Beatrice Wishart of the Scottish Liberal Democrats. Each candidate will have um, two minutes uh, for their opening remarks and then we'll take uh, questions from the floor. Um, if you're tweeting about the event, you can use hashtag HolyroodHustings21 and the handle is at HolyroodEvents. You can submit questions via the chat function uh, at the base of your screen, but we do have a number of uh, pre-submitted questions um, and we'll try to get through um, as many as we can. We're also recording proceedings, um, which we'll then edit and send to delegates who want it. Um, okay, I'd like to ask Claire Adamson to make her opening remarks. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Claire Adamson. I'm standing in the constituency of Motherwell and Wisha, and I served as convener of the Education Skills Committee for the latter part of the last term of the Parliament. Uh, I think the SNP have a, a draft of measures, a draft of policy initiatives that will tackle some of the inequalities that, that will help in our education system. So we're looking to um, continue with PEF funding and attainment challenge funding for our schools. We're recognising the link between poverty and poor outcomes and poor educational attainment. So we have been extending the free meals commitment to all pupils at primary school all year round to ensure that young people are coming to school um, prepared to work and not, not hungry and not being distracted by hunger from uh, their school experience and the school day. And we're looking to improve the 1140 hours for um, parents um, that are, is available for childcare at the moment by um, extending that to an affordable wraparound service that will make it easier for hard pressed families to access childcare. And also, um, we are extending to vulnerable one and two year olds the right to that access. This will all help in challenging some of the issues around poverty. We're also absolutely committed to our modern apprenticeship programme and the pathways for young people from school into education, training or employment. And we know that more young people are going to positive destinations than ever before. And it's these policies that we would, lead to, we would like to continue going forward. I am absolutely delighted that one of the key asks of our committee in the, is that make music tuition and other charges for school tuition in the areas of STEM technology and what um, in um, home economics will, will no longer be necessary and that, that education will be completely free to pupils attending state schools. Thank you. Thanks, Claire. Um, I'd now like to invite uh, Jamie Green to talk for two minutes. Thank you uh, very much. And thanks for having me uh, along today. I know we're all busy campaigning. Um, it's been a really uh, odd election campaign, uh, lots of online hustings. It's also been a really odd year. 
it's been a very difficult one. So I think, first of all, we need to thank anyone watching this who's involved in the education sector in any capacity. Uh, but I think this year has really exacerbated uh, many of the inequalities in education that exist in Scotland. And these are inequalities that have existed for far too long, in my view, whether it's the digital divide or the attainment gap, or those simply uh, falling through the gaps, or for whom the school building was a place of refuge and safe haven uh, from difficult uh, homes and backgrounds. Or what about our college and university students uh, who I think have been demonized and stigmatized throughout this pandemic, or care and uh, care experience or estranged students uh, who have fallen through the gaps as well. Of course, parents themselves, because when nurseries closed, let's face it, uh, they had to pick the phones up and call their bosses and say, we can't come to work. And that was easier for some than others. Not everyone was a key worker, and for many, it was a postcode lottery uh, as to whether they could uh, be provided uh, childcare. Now, I've sat in the Education Skills Committee now for just over a year, and I know that with some of my colleagues here on this hustings, when we do pull together, we do good work, but also election times are opportunities for parties to put together their plans and proposals if they took government. I've got comprehensive plans for root and branch review of Scottish education to restore standards, to restore excellence, to offer back quality, choice, flexibility, and fairness to parents and pupils. And these are things that I think sadly have been uh, uh, a miss for many years. We need to start with the basics. We need more teachers uh, in our classrooms. We need smaller class sizes. We need more mental health support uh, for both staff and pupils. We need fairness and subject choice and we need proper rollout of funded childcare, something that was off target way before the COVID pandemic. Uh, we need well-funded tertiary education uh, and not a system which is mired in debt or making cuts or even indeed relying on overseas students uh, due to years of chronic underfunding. We need to reverse cuts to our college sector. Uh, I'd like to introduce a youth guarantee to offer apprenticeship uh, or further education study to every young person. We all want to roll out free school meals. I introduced a vote to parliament on that and only one party sadly voted against that. And we all know we need to reform Education Scotland and the SQA. They're simply not fit for purpose. Uh, and that goes along with better uh, school inspections. Let's face it, Nicola Sturgeon said, judge me on my record in education. Well, I think this election must do just that. A whole generation of young Scots have been educated under Nicola Sturgeon's government. And I say to the First Minister, can she honestly put her hand in her heart and say that her record on education is one to be proud of? I think time will tell. Okay, thanks, Jamie. And uh, moving now to Michael Mara of Scottish Labour. Thanks, Chris, um, and thanks for having me along today. Uh, I'm Michael Mara. I'm the education spokesperson for Scottish Labour, and I'm uh, a candidate on the northeast of Scotland list. Uh, so it's uh, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Um, this this uh, last year has seen um, unprecedented challenges um, in our education system and uh, the, uh, the loss of schooling and education at a level unseen since the introduction of um, universal education in this country, which of course we led the world in um, uh, for, for many years. The, uh, they are, um, the huge challenges that are emerging right through our system from preschool in terms of access to um, to childcare, which has been so uh, restricted over the last uh, the last year, into our primary and secondary schools in terms of the amount of time that's been lost in there, um, in further education where um, the applications have dropped by a third, uh, where apprenticeships have dropped by sixty percent uh, available through colleges, um, and uh, into our university sector, which has huge challenges in terms of our, the international market. Place that it operates in and the need to attract students to pay the cost, frankly, of Scottish education um, that it doesn't receive from the Scottish Government. Um, all of those situations caused exacerbated by the pandemic. But on the back of 14 years 
of a very poor record of governance and policy from the SNP. Uh, you know, Nicola Sturgeon did say that this was a sacred mission for her um, education in our country. She has to be judged on it. Um, and uh, we should judge her on that record. It's a real shame um, that the SNP have refused to release the OECD report, uh, which was um, a, a, should have been available to every candidate, every candidate in the uh, election, rather than just a select few. Um, and uh, we want to, to make sure that we can actually get in place the data and understand what's happening in our uh, education system. So it's more uh, transparent for everyone. Labour's standing on an education comeback plan for Scotland to deal with the immediate um, impact of the crisis. Um, but my feelings today, I think my kind of sympathies today, particularly go out to school students who are currently sitting exams that they're told are not exams, um, which, uh, you know, it's um, a, a ridiculous situation. I had a, a hustings last night for uh, young people in the northeast of Scotland, a very low turnout because many of the apologies had come in because they were all studying furiously. Um, the ones who did come on talked about the mental health impacts of this last year. Um, and so much of that has come from terrible decision making from the Scottish government from uh, leadership that has been completely absent, absent in this pandemic. So there's a lot that we have to put right if we're going to build a better country, um, if we're going then it's all about education for me. Um, and I hope that that can be the focus of our next parliament and not going back to the old arguments that have uh, wasted so much of our time before. Thank you, Michael. And uh, now call on Ross Greer of the Scottish Greens. Thanks, Chris. The Greens have stood up for teachers and school staff, for pupils and their families and for college and university staff throughout the pandemic. It was a result of the Greens Safer Schools proposals being passed by Parliament in November that regular COVID testing became available from this spring to every member of staff in schools and to all senior pupils. And we've seen an incredibly successful rate of uptake of those so far. That of course should have been something available from last August when we were originally calling for it when schools reopened. We also secured £45 million to recruit additional staff for our schools for the remainder of this term to cope with the massively increased workload that school staff have had to deal with and the increased absence rates that have come from COVID. That's what happens when you have an opposition party that constructively uses the influence it has. We passed those measures with the support of all the other opposition parties. It wasn't an area where we could come to agreement with the government, but we were still able to force them into taking action. The extension of free school meals that's been mentioned for all primary pupils, that was a green addition to this year's national budget where we put tackling child poverty at the forefront of our list of priorities. That's why we also in that budget secured COVID support payments for vulnerable families. One of those payments will arrive with them at the start of August to support the return to school. And of course, after months of warning that the SQA's grading algorithm last year would be a disaster, the Greens were in a position where we were able to force the restoration of all 125,000 grades. Looking ahead, the Greens know the greatest challenges in our schools are staff shortages and unsustainable workloads. That's why we are proposing 5,500 additional permanent teaching posts to be filled in the first instance by the 1,800 teachers on temporary contracts, 2,500 additional support needs teachers, and a reduction in class contact time to 20 hours a week. There's plenty more that I'd love to talk to you about, but I realise now I'm coming up on my two minutes and Chris mentioned before, I think we've got about 40 questions to get through. So I'll round off there just by saying that the Greens have used the impact that we've had in Parliament to make a positive difference for everyone in our schools, colleges and universities. That was with just a handful of MSPs. Imagine what we could do with more. Okay, thanks Ross. And uh, last but not least, uh, Beatrice Wisher of the Scottish Liberal Democrats. Thanks, Chris, and good morning, everyone, and thank you for the invitation to attend today. 
Um, Scottish Liberal Democrats will put recovery first. At the heart of that is education, and there is much to be proud of in education, but there's a lot of work also to be done. We needed everyone possible in the NHS uh, during this last year, and now we need the talents of everyone possible for education. So it's why the Scottish Liberal Democrats' Education Bounce Back Plan offers unprecedented new entitlements for pupils and staff and extra resources in every school. The answer longer. Instead, our plan will make every hour of learning count for more, and it will boost well-being and help every child um, achieve their, their potential. And it includes a teacher job guarantee, permanent jobs, not short-term zero-hours contracts, more people support assistance, an outdoor learning guarantee, and the extended pupil equity fund that we, we want extra funding um, in the uh, Scottish budget, an extra 20 million for children who need it and making it permanent. The attainment gap we all know is still vast and there's so much, there's no point in short-termism. Short um, in terms of long-term changes we want to make, um, Scottish Liberal Democrats oversaw the landmark Macron Agreement, and 20 years on, we believe Macron too would reward staff with better conditions, careers, and workloads. And we've been working with Upstart, and we set out our plans to make education truly play-based until the age of seven. Countries excelling in equity and excellence show this better prepares children to shine. So I look forward to our discussion this morning. We believe the Scottish Liberal De Democrats offer a chance for change. We have proposals for every stage and every age to get a good start in life, to excel at school and help people retrain if they need to later in life. Thanks, Beatrice. Um, uh, as Ross alluded to, we have uh, quite a few questions uh, you know, pre-submitted that we, we're going to try and get through. I see there's already a number of questions also on the on the chat function. So um, I just uh, would ask all the um, candidates just to try and keep your answers as concise as you can. And with that in mind, I'll, I'll ask Claire Adamson the first question, um, which comes from Margaret Wilson of the National Parent Forum of Scotland. And she asks, what do you think should be the number one priority for education recovery from May? Yeah. Um Absolutely, this is about um, ensuring the well-being of our young people in schools going forward and giving them assurances that the effects of COVID will not have a, a lasting and detrimental effect on their um, educational outcomes. We know that this has a dramatic impact on young people. Um, we had already committed to have counsellors available to every young person in school. Um, the music tuition um, policy that I spoke about was about more about well-being than about music learning, because we understand that um, when pupils have access to, to initiatives like music, that they, they are able to, to get engaged in friendship groups, they, they learn skills that gives them a release from stress. And all of this is about building the well-being of our young people going forward and ensuring that our teachers can, can um, you know, support them the best way forward through to their next stages in life. I also want to just correct something that was said, and I have to do this because um, Michael Mara mentioned that we were refusing to release the OECD report. The OECD report is the OECD's report, and it is they who have refused permission for it to be released before the election and not the Scottish Government. I just have to correct that. Thank you. Michael Mara, do you want to quickly come back on that point? 
I think it's it's really it's a a very important report. Um, it would be good if we could see that before the election. Um, you know, the Scottish government commissioned that report. Um, I believe there's been a draft of it with the Scottish government for a significant period of time. The idea that that work couldn't have been done to inform the discussion on this uh, this election, frankly, I think is fanciful. What we do have though is a report that came out from Audit Scotland, which made absolutely clear that the SNP had failed in their intentions to close the attainment gap, that sacred mission that we talked about, the difference between the poorest and the better off in Scotland. Um, so at least we have that information that actually gives us the, the ability to judge on the record. But we do need better data and we need to be signing back up to the international surveys on education that the SNP pulled us out of to make sure that we can actually bring rigour into how we're assessing what's going on in our schools, our children and young people get the best opportunities and best education they can. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the attainment gap is obviously an important one and we've got we've got quite a few questions on that. Um, Jamie Green, what do you think should be number one priority for, for education recovery from me? Yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting listening to this discussion about the OECD report. We were actually promised an interim uh, report, which, you know, no one was asking for the full uh, shebang, uh, but it was important that we saw some interim findings because those findings, as Michael said, could have uh, led some of the narrative that we're now having and indeed allowed us to go to the electorate and say, these are some of the problems that have been independently identified in Scottish education. And I feel, and a lot of parents feel, that whatever the technicality of the document, it does feel like it's been brushed under the carpet. So by getting that report into the public domain as soon as we can, then I think we can all, all stakeholders, can have a sensible discussion about it. What is in there? What is it identifying? And where are the root problems in Scottish education that politicians can get stuck into? And indeed, the next parliament and its education committee can get stuck into as well, because the next education secretary has a big task in his hands. I, but in the immediate and uh, short term, I think there are two things we need to do. One is get our pupils back up to speed. Um, I, I, you know, I, I've frequently been calling for uh, a national tutoring scheme and, and, and a robust catch up plan which pulls in resource from, from all areas. The BBC ran an excellent article this morning about a charity that was delivering tutoring to disadvantaged pupils. And that's tutoring that normally would not be available to them because the parents can't afford it. Why should it be the case in Scotland that you only get good tutoring if you can afford it? Uh, what about those young people who have been left behind and have fallen through the gaps in education? I simply don't buy the concept that no one has, has lost education this past year. And I know people have gone above and beyond, especially teachers and parents, but it would be um, simply untrue to say that the young people are sitting there with a level of education they would have if they hadn't been off, uh, you know, away from school classrooms for a year. So putting catch up at the heart of what we do in the next uh, couple of months must be must be key. And also providing some certainty as to next year's exams, because we, this is the second year in a row we've had an absolute mess uh, around the SQA, around setting exams and qualifications. Okay. So okay. They, need to know what, they need to know what they're working towards as well. I think we're going to move on to exams a bit later. Um, Ross Greer, um, what do you think the priority should be um, after the election? And, and, and do you agree with the others that the OECD report could have been published before the election? No, look, I, I voted for the OECD report to be published. A parliamentary majority did. And those of us who were in Parliament have the copies of this letter. We know that John Swinney wrote to the OECD and asked if the report could be published. And they wrote back and said no. This Scottish government has a weak record on education, but we should stick to criticisms of them that are actually true. They tried to publish the OECD report and the OECD themselves said, no, it is not being published. So if we could stick to criticising the government for stuff that they actually did, that would be useful. In terms of 
education recovery. Well, child wellbeing has to be at the, the, the centre of this. You know, that's why the Greens are proposing uh, significant increases in funding for youth clubs, for example, more outdoor learning opportunities over the summer. We want to give every child and young person a guaranteed residential trip in both primary and secondary, because particularly those primary seven residential trips, we've now had two years in a row where that really formative opportunity is being lost. And we also, also want to give every pupil in our schools a right to receive mental health counselling in school. In Wales, there's a statutory requirement that in-school counselling is provided, that it's available to every young person. There's no requirement for that here in Scotland. So we want to give every young person a right to that. We've had a lot of progress recently in recruiting school counsellors, but we need to make sure that we establish this as a right for every young person so that it's available to them no matter where in the country they are. The key thing for education recovery isn't about kids and their teachers spending more hours of the day, more days of the week in school. It's about the quality of that learning. And if you want to increase the quality of that, you need to decrease teacher workload and increase the number of staff in our schools. That's absolutely key. Because at the moment, teachers in Scotland, even before the pandemic, worked the longest overtime of any in the developed world, an average of about 12 hours of overtime a week. If we want to support every young person to recover after the last year, you need to give teachers the time to actually focus on that individual young person's needs. They can't do that with class sizes of, of up to 30 and with short-staffed schools. Okay, thanks Ross. And Beatrice, what, what do you think the priority should be after the election? Well, I certainly think that the uh, children's well-being and welfare is certainly um, at, at the root of this. Um, but we also need to remember teachers' welfare too. Uh, if teachers are struggling with their mental health and well-being, then being able to teach in a, in a in large class sizes isn't going to help anyone. And certainly, the uh, need for support uh, for stop using languages uh, language that um, gives the impression to our young people that they have lost out on a year and that they are behind. I think we need to be more encouraging. And I think that um, certainly reduced class sizes would have a huge impact on um, how you know teacher time and that contact with young people and how you know help them move forward to get over this last year okay thanks for that and um, the next question uh, we have comes from uh, samantha hutton feely of the scqf partnership and uh, she wants to know what the future of exams look like in, in scotland's schools um I'd like to come to you first michael mara what, what do you think exams look look like in the future and should we just scrap them altogether? Well, I, I certainly hope they don't look like the mess we've seen over the last year, frankly, um, because the people who have lost out on that in terms of the young people, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, speaking to young folk in the Northeast last night, really feeling the, the impact of um, the mental health and the stress around this, being told at you know, weeks notice that they had to sit exams, which they were previously told wouldn't happen. Um, and it's, it's quite clear, I mean, Beatrice made a, a, um, a, a contribution on this previously and it cost things and also another colleague from the Lib Dems around uh, the assessment of SQA, uh, SQA assessment of uh, chemistry, essentially, basically the fact that there's three exams have to be sat in a matter of weeks, um, and despite the fact John Swinney saying that that isn't the case. So we need to sort this out in the, in the immediate term, um, and that has to be the first focus, I think, in terms of the exam system. I think there's a broader question in terms of um, particularly what the, um, the, the SQA debacle of the last year actually revealed, which was that the, uh, which was something 
something that we had all suspected, and frankly, there was a decent amount of information out there to support this conclusion, was that that, that system can be very much prejudiced against kids from poorer backgrounds um, and schools where uh, results um, in exams will be poorer than what their teachers would assume that they might achieve. So we have to find a way to make sure that we can get the the show the real potential and abilities of students and young people um, in order that they can get the qualifications that they deserve. Um, so I think there's going to be an open discussion on that. I know that there's going to be strong opinions on both sides. Scottish Labour wants to you know, um, listen to all sides in that discussion. We don't have a, a, a firm long-term position as to where that might go. Um, we do think that there will most likely be more of a role for continuous assessment. Uh, speaking to university principals, they're not going to go back to closed book exams for humanities and social uh, sciences and big halls. Um, so we need to think intelligently, I think, about this. But that's, it's a massive um, departure, I think, for, for the country. Um, and we have to bring people with us on a journey in this, in terms of parents and the, the stakeholders in it, particularly the young people as well. Um, and that's going to take a huge amount of focus and work. Okay, thank you, Michael. Um, Jamie Green, do you think the, the pandemic provides an opportunity for an overhaul of the exam system as, as we know it? I think it. I think it does actually, um, which might surprise people. I think what we do need to overhaul is the systems uh, and the governance structures around it. I mean, what we've seen with the SQA, and I know there are good people that work at the SQA. I've spoken to some of them, but we have a governance structure from the top down, which is simply not working. Uh, it's you know the catastrophic events of the last year showed that we weren't ready to react to what happens if a pupil is unable to access coursework. What happens if a teacher is unable to get one to one face-to-face -face teaching time with young people. I mean, there, there is a very polarised argument whether you should hold, hold exams per se, and it's also become a very political one, and I think that's unfortunate, because I actually think this, this should be an academic-led debate. Um, I'm very open-minded as to, 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 to what the outcome of that is, but what I would like it to be is subject to uh, proper scrutiny and, and analysis, because I, I think there is a, a strong argument that exams do, do two things. One is they do provide a level playing field that no matter what your demographic or background or where you are in the country, you all sit at the same exam and you can all be uh, properly uh, um, uh, awarded a qualification on the same level. Um, but equally, it also allows you to monitor decline uh, or indeed improvements in the country and education. But equally, I've also you know, uh, heard uh, that the role of ongoing assessment has been very positive over the last year. So you know, I don't think we should rule out e either or, but what we do need to do is put teachers' trust and judgment at the core of it, and that has, simply hasn't happened. Uh, you, you know, we can't just dump the work of the SQA onto teachers uh, and then and then say, well, we don't know how we're going to moderate that and how do you ensure there's consistency year in year as well. So there's lots of aspects to this, and I think it should be a healthy debate, but not one led by people like, like me who have you know, or others on this panel who just have one view or the other. Um, you know, let, let's let's be led by by academia on this. Okay, thanks, Jamie. Um, Claire Adamson, do you do you think the the SQA is is fit for purpose and uh, the right organisation to lead the transformation in the exam system? Well, I, I think I think there's an important point here. Obviously, um, as someone who's sat in the, the education committee, we have had concerns raised frequently. Um, about the SQA and Education Scotland, but that was part of what we asked the OECD to look at in general. Was 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 what what were the challenges? How was curriculum for excellence been implemented? 
where we could get the system better. But there seem to be a lot of people on the call that have prejudged that report, um, demanding a, a, a written branch review of SQA in Education Scotland. Let's wait and see what the report says. And the government has committed to taking on board the views of the OECD, and then we can take forward a positive look at what we do for Scottish education. It's not unusual for Scottish education to come under scrutiny. Um, I, and, um, and and that is has, has happened the entire time I've been in politics. It's always, and, and it's no surprise that it's one of the, the most important issues for people. But let's do this constructively. Let's do this with the evidence in front of us and not be prejudging what has been said already. And also, can we, I would really like us to move away from the rhetoric about Scottish education being failing. And, um, you know, we've had um, comments made like um, failing standards and catch up and all of this. And while it hasn't been a normal year and no one would suggest it has been, our teachers and our pupils have been working really, really hard throughout that year to continue education. So let's not uh, underplay what incredibly hard work and good work has been done by our school communities up until now. Okay, thanks, Claire. Um, Ross Greer, we hear a lot about building back better after the pandemic. Do you think this is a, an opportunity to reassess the exam system and how we um, assess um, pupils' performance? Absolutely. I mean, Scotland's exam system has been fundamentally unchanged for a century or more, actually. Um, and what we have at the moment is not a system where through high stakes end of term exams, we're accurately assessing a pupil's ability in or the, their knowledge of a particular subject. They're being assessed on their ability to complete an exam under that very artificial uh, setting. So the Green Manifesto says we, we would reduce the role that high stakes end of term exams play and we would move to more of a continuous assessment based model. As Michael said, we know that exams are not an equitable way to assess young people, certainly not if they are the, the only thing that makes up a grade. Um, and we saw when the grades were corrected last year after the SQA downgrading, more working class young people than ever applied to university in Scotland, which shows we, we have an exam system that structurally discriminates against young people from more deprived communities. We don't need to wait for the OECD report to come to the conclusion that the SQA aren't fit for purpose, though. I mean, Parliament has been writing reports of, of our own on this for, for years. The first report the Education Committee wrote after the last election in 2016 was about the failures of the SQA in Education Scotland. So the Greens would start that reform process by replacing the current board of management at the SQA with a model closer to what the General Teaching Council has. At least half of board members should be registered teachers or lecturers. There should be reserved places for a parent and carer rep, a young person's rep, so probably a member of the youth parliament. Education governance in Scotland at the moment is a system of governance led by people who are not education professionals on the whole, and we, we need a change away from that. Um, we need to fundamentally recognise that at the moment we have an exams and assessment system and a curriculum that don't match. We're not really doing curriculum for excellence in the senior phase because teachers are having to teach to the test and the exam system never fundamentally changed when the curriculum did. So we're, we're playing catch up here. This should have been done 10 years ago when curriculum for excellence was brought in in the first place. Okay, thanks Ross. And Beatrice, presumably you, you would agree with that, that um, there's a need for reform of the SQA. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think what we saw last year was a lesson in how not to how not to proceed. I mean, they've been uh, proven in their current form that they can't be trusted with the, the current system. So why uh, actually trust them with any future overhaul of what we what the discussion is about whether it's exams or um, or not in, in in years ahead? So I think I would agree that reforming the SQA and Education Scotland, uh, reforming them would be a first step, and uh, certainly the wider discussion as to, uh, whether there should be exams at all. 
has to be across all society because it's such a major change and it um, it would affect in very much the, the whole of the Scottish population in years to come. So it's a very big discussion. But teachers have to be at the heart of that um, and academics. OK, thanks very much. Um, next question comes from uh, Alison Barry, and she's asking about the um, attainment gap. Um, Claire Adamson, uh, there's been a pretty mixed um, picture on tackling the attainment gap, which uh, Nicola Sturgeon said was going to be the, the core of her mission as, as First Minister. What would the SNP do in government next time around to make sure that the attainment gap is properly closed? Well, the attainment gap has is a key issue for the SNP and tackling poverty. So a lot of the um, areas around well-being for, for families, um, the free school meals, the access to um, better childcare, wraparound childcare, that all will, will help support young um, younger children, particularly um, through the education process. We are doing this with our hands tied behind our back. Well, it, to get it its full title, it's a poverty-related attainment gap, and we know that. And while we're trying our best to, to tackle that and to, to look at what we can do to support families by increasing the child payment, by Best Start grants, by all of the, the work that's been done to support young families, at the same time, we're still in a benefit system that is detrimental to parents. We're in a, a, a benefit system that is, um, you know, with the, the rape clause and, and the two-child cap. It makes it very, very difficult for larger families. And it, it also um, it, it is a system that with because we don't have control over employment rights in the Scottish Parliament, um, you know, families are at the whim of, of employers on um, zero hour contracts on hire and refire uh, situations. And while we're, we're, we're struggling with that, we, we are doing our best. But there is absolutely no doubt if we had full powers over these issues in an independent Scotland, we could do far more quicker to tackle the attainment gap. Komara, I, I see you're shaking your head at that. Um, do you, I think you don't agree that it's Westminster that's holding up progress on tackling the attainment I, gap? I think somebody coming from the SNP and say, saying on this issue, um, on the issues of poverty, on the issues of the attainment gap, we are doing our best after 14 years to find the situation. In my ward, I'm a councillor at the moment in Dundee, um, I, there are one in three children living in poverty. Under the SNP, that number has soared, absolutely soared. You know, now some of the things that Claire says in terms of the um, the way that the benefit system, the way that the, our economy works, frankly, not much about the economy said by Claire and our colleagues, but the way that actually we run this country could be so much better. Absolutely right. But frankly, to say that we are doing our best, Claire and our colleagues should get out the road because actually this Scottish government, one of the most powerful devolved administrations in the world, could do so much more to actually make a difference to people's lives. I, I find it, I'm quite angry actually at that response from Claire and her colleagues because it's um, to abdicate responsibility around this and to play that blame game. We can't go back to that. We can't go back into that, that the, the pointless, fruitless argument again and again and again. We have to take action to do something about it. What can we do about the attainment gap? Some of the things we can do is we can reverse the cuts to the teachers that the SNP have made. Again, in Dundee, 12% fewer teachers over the term of the SNP and time and power, the same number of pupils. So if we had more pup teachers actually working with pupils from poorer backgrounds, maybe something could be done. A huge number of cuts across Scotland to the number of classroom assistants. 
people who are more traditionally would focus on some of the children and give them that extra, extra support. And actually the things that have been done even more recently, PEF funding, you know, PEF funding has to be put on a statutory footing. So that's a permanent investment in young people in our schools. Because if we don't get that, councils can't plan to get the staff in to do the work. They end up buying laptops with the money, you know? Um, and, you know, frankly, it sounds like we're all going to get a laptop we should have got at the start of last year from the SNP this year. So, you know, they, they should actually be able to plan for the future on this basis. But, I mean, I, I find that kind of defeatist language to be completely unacceptable. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, Jamie Green, what would, what would the Tories do to, to address the attainment gap in the next parliament? Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've been in, on many debates and arguments uh, with SNP over this issue and, and uh, the answer is always the same. It's always someone else's fault. And, and, and I'm afraid to say, look, we all accept that these are complex issues, but you've had 14 years uh, to resolve some of these issues. And you can't, sit, you can't sit back and say that the attainment gap is someone else's problem because you don't have control, control over employment law. You can't say that cutting teacher numbers uh, you can't say that not inspecting schools, you can't say uh, that reducing subject choice uh, or creating a postcode lottery uh, as to how many subjects you can take. You can't sit here and say there's a 36% gap between our most and least deprived communities, depending on which part of Scotland you live in, and say that that's somehow the byproduct of, of, an, of, of other people's policies. Uh, you know, this is a, you know, we accept that what happens outside of the class also affects what happens inside of the class. I, I get that. But when you when you make cuts to local councils, when you when and those councils are cutting drug and alcohol services and mental health support services, then these children are living in communities with deep rooted generational problems, which are underfunded, and that are entirely under the control of the Scottish government uh, and the way that they fund uh, local services. So you know, just simply burying your head in the sand and say, "Oh, it's the Tories' fault, it's Westminster's fault." I, I'm, I'm afraid that doesn't wash anyone. The people I'm speaking to are angry about this. We must narrow the attainment gap through direct intervention into supporting our schools, more teachers, smaller class sizes, better quality schools. No, no child in Scotland should be in a school that is in poor or bad condition. That must end as well. And we must re reinsert uh, inspections into our schools. You know, so yes, of course, governments have to work together. Scotland has two governments, but the government fully in charge of education and many of the other devolved aspects of day to day life. Uh, it cannot simply wash its hands of responsibility. 14 years is 14 years is too long and another five is simply going to get worse, in my view. OK, OK, I'm, I'm going to move on to another question because we've, we've got so many to get through uh, and I'm conscious that we're, we're probably not going to get through them all. But um Got a question from um, Susanna Lane of University Scotland, and she asks, "How will you ensure that free higher education is also a fully funded higher education?" We hear lots about um, people from deprived backgrounds struggling to go to university in Scotland, not not because of tuition fees, but because they can't afford um, to live away from home or to study away from home. Ross Greer, what would you like to to see done to, to tackle that? Uh the single most important step that we could take around funding of higher education is to actually fully fund it. So at the moment, the, the Scottish government funding uh, for each student doesn't actually match the cost of teaching. So we're in a situation where universities are using international student fees, accommodation costs, conferences, things like that to maximise their income. So we're seeing, frankly, the exploitation of particularly international students, but also any student in uh, university accommodation 
because the universities are having to supplement their income somehow. The cost of educating uh, Scottish students doesn't actually, is not covered by what the Scottish government are funding. So we need the, the funding from government to actually match the cost of teaching. But we need to go much further in directly supporting students because absolutely, even if you have a system like we have without tuition fees, the cost of going to university for uh, many is still too much. And we have a particular problem in the summer after the first year of university where a lot of students will drop out. So that's why the Greens want to see uh, a summer support fund in place. And we want that to be nationally administered because as we've seen over the last year, and we totally understand why a lot of support funds were given to individual institutions for them to administer, what we saw was a postcode lottery though. We need to make sure that this is available to every student nationally, regardless of which university or college uh, they go to. So we need more support over the summer. We need a minimum income guarantee for students. We Students need support that can only uh, be given to them though with wider changes in public policy, particularly as like housing policy. One of the single biggest costs for students, something that eats up all of the grants, bursaries, loans, whatever's available to them is the cost of rent. Students need rent controls. Students need a regulator for landlords. It's issues like housing that are driving students into poverty. So yeah, we need to make sure that we're properly funding universities. The cost needs to be matched by the, the funding that comes in. But students need a much, much wider support package. I mean, that's why I'm particularly proud that from this summer, just in time for students starting in September, everyone under the age of 22 will be able to use the bus for free in Scotland because of the Greens. That doesn't cover all students, obviously, but it covers a huge majority of students in Scotland. And it takes another one of those costs away and hopefully it will result in fewer people dropping out as a result. Okay, thanks Ross. Beatrice, what can we do to encourage um, more students from deprived backgrounds who, who have the grades to go to university to go to university and be able to survive there financially? Well, yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's being able to survive. And uh, I mean, we all know that students have lost out greatly this last year because there were no jobs when many of them would be in the hospitality sector. And uh, that hasn't been an option to them. And they've struggled to get... Uh, you know, hardship funds have um, had to be topped up on a, uh, I think, once or twice at least now. And um, not everybody, not every student's been able to access that. But getting back to the root of the question, it is to ensure that universities and colleges are fully, fully funded um, and making sure that the time that they are able to spend there, they are able to use all that time. Um, so... <laughs> I think that I think the funding is the biggest issue, but support in their living comment, living um, you know day to day living costs would be a huge benefit, and not having to see students who are trying to cram in as much um, working as many hours as they can on minimum wage in order to survive, and that can mean neglecting actually what they're at university to do. Okay, thank you, um, Claire Adamson. Isn't it the case that? Uh... In England, where they have where they have tuition fees, there, there are more students going to university from from deprived backgrounds because the yeah, the financial support in place is is better. Um, no, it's it's an absolute commitment of the SNP that that um, tuition fees will not be introduced in Scotland ever because we believe in the right to free education and we have some of the best universities in the world. You know, the Royal Conservatoire coming in as the third best place in the world to study um, uh, arts and um, we have to ensure that, that every child in Scotland has an opportunity 
to to um, gain access to to these incredible um, uh, universities. Um, so free tuition in in principle will not change under the SNP. We're absolutely committed to it, but we're also committed to giving further financial support for students. And we've done a lot during COVID. Um, and um, we will continue to do that. And some of our other policies that are in rent caps um, will we'll also help some of the, the accommodation issues that were helped, uh, that Ross was talking about for students there. But there's a really important issue here because um, we've just been talking about money for local authorities. We're now talking about more money for universities and colleges. And it, it really is incumbent on people who are asking for more money in these areas that they come up with where they would cut that that money from in the Scottish budget. Um, Ross has given a number of examples of where the Green Party have worked constructively with the Scottish Government to get budget asks. And uh, I would say to the other members, if, if these are their key priorities, um, did they bring them to the budget table? Did they negotiate with the Scottish Government to make these the priorities? Because we have to balance all of these budgets and it's incredibly hard under austerity, under the Tory government um, to, to, to support um, education, to support health service, to support all these areas in, in Scotland. But um, we are absolutely committed to supporting um, our, our colleges and our universities. Um, we, we commit um, over 1.1 billion to, to, to Scottish universities, yeah, universities and we will continue to do that. And um, in, in terms of um, going forward with this, one of the biggest threats that we've had to our education is, is coming out of the EU and Brexit and um, the, the reduction in the number of international students that were coming um, based on uncertainties around that. And we have to support our universities and our colleges to be able to encourage people to come um, to, to come to Scotland, to come and to study and to um, take advantage of those opportunities within Scotland okay. as well. Okay. Uh, Jamie Green, do you think there's there's any argument at all for reintroducing tuition fees if it if it helps to create a system that allows the poorest students to go to university and to be funded to do that? You know, it's really fascinating. Uh, you know, this this is another another sensible question from the university sector, direct from the horse's mouth about funding for the sector, uh, primarily because I assume there is an issue, and we know there's an issue because universities are currently one point six five billion pounds in debt. Uh, and our college sector isn't far behind in terms of its deficit uh, as well. Uh, and all we get back is, well, you know, Brexit and Boris. I mean, come on, uh, I have to say to, to Claire Adamson. Uh, That's real life, Jamie. Let, let, real life is when your government underfunds the sector. That's why the question's being asked. Uh, you know, it is a fact that, you, you know, nothing is free in this world. There's no such thing as free tuition. It's subsidised but it's not subsidised at the rate that it costs to provide the tuition. That is a fact. Uh, and because of that, these universities are struggling for cash and trying to make money in other ways. And we've heard from some of the other panellists about some of the clever ways of trying to make money. If you're, going to, if you're going to make a promise to provide free tuition, and it is one that I support, you also need to make alongside that a promise that you will fully fund the cost of the education. You can't just do one but not the other. And that's what's been happening for many years. So, of course, you need to commit to fully fund the cost of, of, of the tuition. Uh, but equally, uh, you need to be honest with folk that nothing is free. Uh, everything comes at a cost. Uh, and therefore, I don't buy that argument that it's somebody else's fault that these universities are struggling. They're struggling because you're not paying them uh, enough money. So, you know, it's not just around fees, though. We all know that the main issues around student dropout rates, for example, uh, is the cost of living. Uh, so, you know, the fact that, that you're not funding uh, the universities properly means the universities then can't properly support students with emergency funding and bursaries and so on. Uh, and it's actually the cost of living issue that we need to tackle. I, the first thing I would like to do in the new parliament is set up 
a short life review uh, into student support mechanisms in general, similarly to what they did in Wales. And I think that will throw up some very important issues around how we actually support students uh, with their cost of living uh, and actually not having to work three jobs. I mean, I dropped out of uni because I simply was working three jobs and couldn't study. I don't want that to happen to, to young people and it's still happening today, 20 years on, and that's unacceptable in today's okay. Scotland. All right, um, I'm going to just try and get in one. Sorry, Michael. Can I just come in quickly, Chris? I mean, yeah. the question to me was about, about the business model that the universities operate on. I've worked in um, universities in Scotland for most of my working life and one for the last 10 years. Um, and it's long been known that the business model essentially is broken. You know, where um, the Scottish government underfunds the Scottish students and then they have the, um, we have been much more exposed as a result of that process to an international shock which has happened. And we don't know how we're going to recover from that yet as a sector across Scotland. So there's a huge uncertainty in the coming months about whether students are going to arrive from overseas in, in September to pay the cost of Scottish students going to universities. So this is another massive issue in terms of actually how can these incredibly important institutions actually thrive and survive and continue to do the great job we all agree that they do for our country. So, um, you know, there is a little bit of a kind of a watching brief on some of this in terms of what's going to happen come the autumn. Um, but we know that in the long, long run, the business model that so many of these operations, these universities operate just doesn't work. Okay. Thanks for that. I'm going to just try and get in one more question. Um, we're, we're running out of time, but um, there's, been a, there's been a couple of uh, separate questions about um, the harassment of girls in schools. There's been a bit of media reporting around this recently. Um, and I just wondered what, uh, you, what you would like to see Ross Greer done to, to tackle the issue of uh, harassment of girls in schools. Yeah, so a lot of this has come from the um, everyone's everyone's invited or everyone's included campaign, I, I think it's called, and that's the focus of it in terms of media attention and, and government response has largely been in England. But we all recognise that uh, this is certainly not a problem unique to any one country. It's it's a pandemic of violence against women and girls across the world. One thing that, in fact, the very first thing that I did when I was elected back in 2016 was get the education uh, committee to launch an inquiry into how we do personal and social education in our schools, particularly looking at sex and relationship education. Because uh, what we found and what I knew would be the case being elected at, at 21, so it wasn't that long ago, it was my experience, is that uh, the overwhelming majority, about three and four young people in the UK, will get sex education at school, but not get consent-based sex education. They, they will learn about this without having been taught about the principle of consent. Um, I was at an NUS hustings last night talking about the massive societal failure it is for young people, particularly young men, to only first hear about consent, only first get a workshop on the, the principle of consent when they get to university or to college. So one of the things that came out of that inquiry was a commitment for a wholesale change in how we do personal social education to make sure that every young person is getting sex and relationship education that's age and stage appropriate and that is rooted in the principle of consent. I wouldn't for a second act like that will singularly solve this problem, but we have a massive issue at the moment. We, we are simply not systematically teaching young people about consent and sexual relationships. We do need an inquiry into how sexual harassment, sexual uh, assault in schools is treated. Like far too often issues of sexual harassment are just recorded as generic bullying. And the fact that, that the protected characteristic uh, isn't uh, recorded, the fact that it was 
sexual uh, harassment or bullying isn't recorded. So we, we need a review into how schools themselves deal with this. But for me, it's absolutely critical that from the youngest age at which it is appropriate, we are teaching young people, but particularly boys, about the principle of consent. Because if we're not doing that, then the rape culture that permeates our society is just going to continue. Okay. Uh, Beatrice Wishart, do you think there's a, a case for a, an overhaul of uh, sex education in schools, as, as Ross uh, calls for? Absolutely. I absolutely agree with what Ross is saying there. It has to be age and stage appropriate and um, boys are being left behind on it. Um, I'm a trustee at Shetland Women's Aid and I can see the consequences of what happens to, you know, with violence against women and girls in a domestic abuse um, setting. And it is, it's, all, it's all ages. And if boys don't get that understanding at an earlier age than before they go to, to university or college, before they're adults, um, that can continue throughout their lives. So we have to do so much more, but we also have to get rid of this misogynist attitude that is within society as well. Um, and, you know, the, 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 uh, well, just I, I could speak for ages about it, but I won't. But yes, a lot more has to be done and we all have to take responsibility for it. Okay. Um, Claire, uh, Ross points out that a lot of the reporting around this uh, has been in, in the media in England and about schools in England, but do you acknowledge that there's a problem with uh, sexual harassment and, and sexual violence in Scotland schools as well? I think it's a societal problem and I, I, I'm glad we achieved some consensus with some of my uh, committee colleagues on this because we have done some extensive work on it as Ross has said and it's absolutely key is, is education and early education in this but we've also in the last few weeks of the parliament um, unanimously passed the UNCRC bill into law and that has protections for children and young people and gives them rights and right to protection. So um, we have to take that really, really seriously going forward. I, I mean, there's some great work being done in schools, but we have to also reflect on, on where our own society is in this. You only have to look at the abuse of um, females on, on Twitter, um, people in the public eye, and, and, and the level of misogyny and hate directed towards women is completely and utterly unacceptable and it's not just women it's other marginalized groups like gypsy travelers like um trans people and and really we have to, to build a respect agenda going forward and that takes everyone working together i think in the past institutions careful of their own reputation have swept things under the carpet that should not have been and we have to move forward to to fully um, understand and expose this issue but also to tackle it and and that can only be done by the type of education that Ross and Beatrice are both asking for in terms of consent education. Okay thanks thanks Claire and um, Michael do, do you think this is just another yeah another example of why we need more rigorous uh, school inspections in Scotland I mean there's there's been a lot made of the fact that um, certain schools haven't been inspected for for a decade is this the sort of thing that could be picked up by by school inspections? I mean, the evidence would say not, Chris. I mean, this is, um, I mean, we do need to overhaul our school inspection regime, um, but they, I think that this is a problem right across the board. Um, I wouldn't say the many schools that have gone uninspected are, are, are ones that are allowing misogyny and sexism to, to run rife. I mean, that's, I don't think that, that, that holds much water. I agree with the other panellists in terms of um, a shift around how we, we talk about this. But I do think more than anything else, this is um, responsibility of men 
you know, we have to challenge our sons, we have to challenge our, you know, we have to model different behaviours, we have to challenge our friends, um, our brothers, our uncles, um, and uh, to make sure that, you know, misogyny is a male problem that needs to be dealt with. We also need to make sure that we record, I think it's a really good point in terms of the recording of these issues where young girls are um, the, um, the, the objects of this form of abuse. We need to make sure that we can do that and we can understand the size of the problem. Um, but really this is for, for uh, first and foremost for men to deal with, with our attitudes and the way that we behave. Okay, thanks. Jamie Green, a lot of this is uh, driven by social media, as we know. I mean, do you think there's a case for um, for more regulation of, of social media, particularly uh, its use by young people? Yeah, I, I actually do. And I'm glad we're, we're ending on something that, that we, there is consensus on. I mean, violence and harassment uh, and abuse is unacceptable in society, and it really does live online. And we, we know that because, especially in Scotland, look at what's happened over the last year around some of the debates and arguments around uh, uh, gender recognition reform or the hate crime bill uh, and and you watch that argument play out in front of you online and you look at some of the comments and messages that the people are receiving especially women uh, and it's it's unacceptable and, and this is not a, you know these aren't party political issues are people getting it from all angles from all uh, angles and um, you know a good example I think is that you know education I think lies at the heart of intolerance in general um, I, you know, my, one of the first things I did in my early days when I got into the parliament was uh, set up a cross-party group to look at LGBTI issues and support the Thai campaign. Mm -hmm. I was quite controversial and difficult to do, and certainly no one, I don't think at that point, very few people in my party had supported their campaign. Um, but actually it was important to do that because you need to lead by example. Uh, and what they, what they do is they go into classes and they talk to young people and they share the experience uh, of what it's like to be bullied, what it's like to feel hurt and marginalised. And that education, that work on the ground at grassroots level is actually what makes a difference. It makes, okay. it makes young yeah, people- I'm going to have to cut you off there because we're fast running out of time, but on that very important point. Um, but I just, uh, I'd just like to thank you all, uh, all the panel members for taking part in our hustings today. And I'd like to apologize to those who did ask questions. If we didn't ask, uh, we, didn't, um, we didn't ask your question, but I mean, there's, there's definitely, uh, enough there for us to maybe do another another event of this kind at some point in the future. So um, thanks once again to all our panelists and uh, thanks for all you out there um, watching us today. Thank you. You've been listening to Holyrood Hustings on education. Tune in tomorrow to hear our health hustings. Thanks for listening.